This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. But first, let's go back to Chris Yellen. Chris is in our electronic studio. He's he's here. And uh, Chris, you have been a frequent critic of the way in which the country's electric grid is handled, not necessarily simply because of the kind of mix sources for the energy, whether it's solar or nuclear or coal or diesel, but the way in which the network itself has been handled, managed, maintained, and prepped for the future. Help me understand the nature of this fairly deep systemic criticism and, of course, what we can do about it, because we're private citizens and we're not in charge. Yeah, the grid, the generation capacity, uh, the distribution networks, are all under pressure at the moment. And it stems uh, right from uh, policy issues uh, through to regulatory issues, planning issues, execution issues, operational issues, environmental issues, and all of these together. And and, and so it's really hard to pinpoint uh, one particular issue because it's long-standing problems date back i think you know when we first became aware of the problem uh, in 2008 uh, when we had the first round of load shedding but you know even then that round of load shedding had earlier beginnings that date back even earlier so it is a long stretch uh, through the madupi and kusili uh, constructions which are still underway at the moment uh, even though they were supposed to be finished in 20, 2013 2014 uh, they still uh, not completed and those that are completed those units that are completed are not performing very well through to the the current issues uh, relating to very slow public procurement processes all of this coming together over a long period of time leads us to feel almost helpless in the face of this load shedding that has been going on and off, on and off, since about 2007, 2008. But I must say, up front, there is no reason really to feel helpless. There are solutions. There are quick solutions. There are solutions that can put an end to load shedding in two years at very low cost to the fiscus. And uh, we really should be focusing not on the history, not on pointing fingers, Of course, there is accountability issues. We do need to learn from the past, but we need to get on with with the solutions uh, and getting this load shedding behind us. It can be done with the necessary will and the necessary leadership. How does it feel to be Cassandra? Cassandra, of course, was was the classical prophetess, actually, in Troy who was gifted with the, the ability to foresee the future and cursed by the fact that no one would listen to her. Um, you say we have uh, within our capacity to do a great deal towards a solution, and yet uh, a cynic would say, or a realist, or someone sitting in the dark perhaps might say, but that's not happening. You know, at the very highest level in, in South Africa, at the presidency, I think, uh, I mean, if you saw the president's letter just about two or three days ago on this very subject, I do believe that there are people within the presidency and the president himself that really do understand the problem and understand what has to be done. Uh, But then, of course, politics comes into it. And um, there are a lot of naysayers and people that I call the the doolittles of this world. 
All they seem to do is raise problems about why we should do nothing. And, and while you talk about it and uh, argue about it and deal with these naysayers, nothing happens. So, um, yes, I, I can understand the frustration, but I do see that there is a growing awareness of the issues. And sad to say that sometimes we only wake up when there is one hell of a crisis in South Africa. And, and uh, there are many times when you can point to this in South Africa's history that we kind of need a good wake-up call. I'm not sure as much pain as we've had with load shedding, whether it's been enough to shake people out of their complacency. But I do see some changes happening at the moment, which give me cause for hope. Over the years, I've read uh, uh, things written by you or, or heard you speak in various media circumstances. And one of the key issues that I think you focus on is the question of, well, two questions really, uh, is high quality performance-based maintenance. And the other is in the kind of planning that has to go in to deal with issues proactively before they consume us. Is that, is that a fair summary? Yeah, it is. Uh, look, maintenance, and I'm talking about high quality effective maintenance, is necessary not just at the end of life, but throughout the life cycle of a new plant, through to a middle-aged plant, through to an old plant, it's got to be done properly all the time over the life of the plant, just like you would service a car regularly throughout its life. But we're at the stage at the moment where maintenance is having diminishing returns because of poor maintenance in the past and because of the age of the plant. So the solution, while maintenance is very necessary, even towards end of life, it's not going to bring an end to load shedding. For that, we need new generation capacity, uh, performing like new generation capacity, built on time and on budget. And uh, one needs to do really careful planning in this regard. The other thing that's important is we need to move out of the way these naysayers, these problem raisers that are really cause distractions from the real job at hand. And I can point to a number of distractions that um, we see in front of us all the time. A new nuclear build is one such distraction. It's not going to produce any solutions for us in the next 15 years, at least. Talk about small modular nuclear reactors. These reactors are under development, but they don't exist yet. They're not commercial products. They haven't been deployed. They haven't been licensed. They haven't been proven. And we're not, uh, the utilities should not be in the business, uh, certainly in South Africa, of, of trying out unproven leading edge technology. So we need to wait till they uh, become mature enough uh, to become commercial products where we understand what's going on and what the prices are and what one needs to do to construct them. Then there's talk, for example, of underground carbon capture and storage. You know, you hear the minister talking about this. It's a really expensive technology. It's, it's not proven. All it does is it makes coal-fired power more expensive. And coal-fired power is already too expensive. Uh, so it's just a distraction that causes us to do little. Uh, there's un other things like underground uh, coal gasification uh, and these so-called clean coal technologies uh, which don't really exist. Uh, there is no such thing as the burning of clean coal uh, or the burning of coal in a way that does not cause climate change. Uh, and uh, just the other day, the head of the Presidential Climate Commission, the PCC, 
uh, uh, you know, announce. And he said, for goodness sake, stop this distraction. We need to get on with the real work. And this is just not helpful. Uh, and, and it causes us to do little. So uh, it's not just me saying these things. There are people in the presidency at the PCC that are very clear on these matters. But unfortunately, at the DMRE, things are not so clear. One of the things that are not a distraction, but which don't get, well, two things, I guess, again, which don't get enough high level and embrace, really. One is individual privately produced electric power, which can be fed into grids. And the other is uh, the country is blessed with uh, 300 and some odd days a year of hot, direct sunlight. And sunlight speaks to solar energy. And both of these things uh, seem to get sort of pushed aside in the rush to embrace all these other ideas. Exactly. So if you were to look at, uh, you know, what are these solutions that I'm talking about in the next two years that can be delivered at low cost uh, on time and on budget uh, and, and, and can make a real difference that will end load shedding in two years. And it is a combination of solar PV and wind power and battery energy storage. And it can be delivered not by state or public procurements, which are very bureaucratic and time consuming, but can be delivered by customers of electricity, what is known as self-generation, distributed generation, embedded generation, wheeling of power through the grid from points of generation, points of consumption, the trading of electricity. And that also speaks to your issue yeah. that, first of all, these installations close, uh, you know, on the customer's premises or relatively close by, the more we do that, uh, the more we reduce the burden on ESCOM and thereby reduce the probability of load shedding. And then, of course, we come into the feed-in basis where this energy can be fed back into the grid uh, as, a, as a very useful source of, of new electricity. Chris, I have to take a break and we'll be back in just a minute or so. We're speaking with Chris Yellen, uh, electrical engineering, elect electricity consultant par excellence. This is The Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. Uh, we're back again with Chris Yellen. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation about electricity and the power grid and why we get to spend our evenings at home in the dark eating cold food by the light of a candle. Well, I guess we're not going to do that if all of Chris's suggestions would be taken into consideration. But right now, maybe we still have to. What's holding us back from getting the various fairly simple issues that you have pointed to, high quality maintenance, proactive planning, better management of, of contracts, and then individual power production and making use of solar and wind and other renewable energy. We haven't mentioned tidal yet, but I guess that's relatively more complicated than the other two. What's holding us back from doing all this? Well, that's the thing. Uh, what's holding us back is not much in terms of it's not like a lot of capital has to be spent uh, by government uh, in order to facilitate this. Actually, what's holding things back at the moment is red tape, unnecessary policy restrictions, uh, regulatory restrictions, pricing restrictions, 
Uh, when I talk about pricing, I'm talking also about a national tariff framework for wheeling of power across the grid. And uh, these are basically paperwork issues that can be dealt with relatively quickly at low cost if there is the will to do it. If there is not the will to do it, uh, one can get distracted by the naysayers who will argue for sort of the kingdom come about the details of the regulations. Uh, but the reality is that there's nothing new under the sun uh, in this field. It's been done elsewhere. We do not need to reinvent the wheel. We need to unlock the ability of customers to become part of the solution. We need to not only allow self-generation, embedded generation, distributed generation, wheeling and trading. We need to, first of all, allow it, yes, in the regulations, in the laws. We need to uh, encourage it. Uh, letting customers know that they are encouraged to become part of the solution. Finally, you need to incentivize it. And there are many ways of incentivizing it. I'll give you some examples uh, through tax breaks. There already are some tax breaks. Many people don't even know about these tax breaks. So uh, if, if you can encourage the uh, expenditure, capital expenditure through providing people the ability to write off that expenditure in the first year, as opposed to depreciating it, that, that can actually change the business case from negative to positive. Similarly, you can have um, uh, feed-in tariffs, uh, which encourage uh, feeding power back into the grid uh, and getting paid for them at a reasonable rate. So that's an important pricing signal. And there's also subsidies. But I must say, I'm not suggesting that subsidies should be permanent. Uh, but they can be very useful in creating the right environment to create that tipping point. This sort of thing starts to happen at scale. This brings down the price and after two years you can remove your subsidies. You don't need them anymore because the prices come down to the extent where the business case is absolutely clear. So yeah, just to summarize, uh, get rid of the unnecessary red tape, uh, allow it, encourage it, incentivize it. It will happen on a big scale. It's already happening. But this can be speeded up very significantly in the next two years. Now, I'm not an electrician or an electrical engineer, but I'm basically scientifically literate. And I, I've read in a number of places, not just one special interest group source, that the actual delivered cost of energy produced from solar power is now at least as cheap as coal-fired or gas-fired generating electricity and since it has come down so quickly on a per kilowatt hour basis, it's only going to get cheaper as the technologies become better and more ubiquitous. Is that a fair statement? It is a fair statement, but I think you've even understated it because the price of energy from wind and solar PV, if you were to look at the, the last round of the renewable energy IPP program, there is around about 40, 50 cents a kilowatt hour. The price mm -hmm. of new coal power is more than a rand a kilowatt hour. So. Uh, in fact, about 120 a kilowatt hour. So we're talking about a third to half the price. But having said that, I want to just stress that wind and solar PV on their own are not the solution. And one needs to look at other technologies like uh, flexible power generation in the form of battery energy storage or gas to power or so-called peaking plant. Uh, that can be used uh, to fill the gaps in the variability of wind and solar PV. Uh, and so you need to look at this blended price, not just wind and solar PV on its own, but the blended price of wind and solar PV plus these flexible generation technologies. And there we are, you're, you're right. If you do this blended price, uh, the blended price has reached the stage, uh, it's as low as and even slightly cheaper 
than uh, the price of the alternative, which is coal. Uh, you know, coal is often touted as reliable baseload power. The, the reality is completely different. In South Africa, coal-fired power is unpredictable, it's intermittent, it's, un, it's, it's dirty, it's thirsty, uh, inefficient, and it breaks down at the worst possible time. And we know it because we experience this all the time. So uh, it, it is a fact that the combination of variable wind and solar combined with flexible generation can, in fact, deliver reliable, dispatchable power 24 hours a day. And that's what we should be aiming. And, of course, it is a lower cost. It creates more jobs. It uses less water. It's less carbon emissions. And there's no pollution. Uh, when I say no pollution, there are always waste streams. Even with renewable energy, after 20 years, there's a waste stream that you have to deal with. But there isn't a waste stream during the 20 years of its life. And the actual waste stream at the end of the life is a small fraction of the waste stream from coal and nuclear, which happens during the entire life of the plant. So, yes, I, I don't want to give the impression that, that it is there is no waste product. There is. We have to deal with that but it's a fraction of what it would be otherwise. No, I understand. I mean, you know, part of the challenge of even solar power is that somebody has to dig the stuff out of the ground that you turn into the panel, uh, which you then manufacture, which then produces its own waste stream of one type or another. And at the end of things, uh, you still have this piece of equipment, which now can't be used because it's got to be replaced by a newer piece. But one thing you haven't mentioned, and that is uh, conservation at the level of individual users. Uh, a lot of people argue that the most important thing we need to do now is change the manner of our energy usage. I think that's very true. Uh, you know, in South Africa, we used to have very low cost electricity. And one of the downsides of low-cost electricity is it's not used efficiently, uh, and it's, there's a lot of wastage. And um, when the price of electricity goes up, people start using it more and more efficiently. So it's a very strong signal to use power more efficiently. But the reality is that right now there are very significant opportunities uh, through energy efficiency to get the same amount of work out from electricity with using less electricity. That, that is what energy efficiency is all about. Energy efficiency is not turning off every alternative street light and thereby saving electricity because you're getting less light out. Uh, energy efficiency is about getting the same amount of light out for a lower amount of electricity. And there, for example, the use of LED lighting is dramatic. For the same amount of lumens light output, you use much less electricity. That is energy efficiency. And there are many other opportunities uh, in electric motors, uh, in variable speed drives, and in other technologies uh, in the application of electricity in industrial, commercial environments uh, uh, to actually uh, use electricity much more efficiently. That is a, That can make a big contribution towards reducing the need uh, I mean, the more you get energy efficient, the less load shedding we'll need because for the same amount of work out and demand, uh, we use less electricity and therefore we're not running into those limits of generation capacity. One of the things I've noticed in South Africa is there is really virtually no attention given to ins proper insulation of homes, whether it's double pane windows, whether it's insulation between ceiling and roof, uh, whether it's in fact the kind of paint that's used on surfaces that provides various kinds of insulating functions 
or in the summer reflecting energy back from the sun. I don't see any real effort to make use of any of that. You're right. Uh, you, you know, our windows don't shut properly or seal properly. Neither do our doors. And, you know, uh, I think it's a case of we do have some very cold weather, but it's not for that many days a year. And I think people just sort of suffer during those days and use more blankets uh, to keep warm. I know when my daughter visits me from France, she feels that it's colder in South Africa in winter than they ever experience, you know, in, in France, but just because the houses are not thermally insulated. That does, of course, cause a lot of uh, wastage of heat. Uh, and um, uh, it, it is just, the, I think it's a reality of our climate. And also, on the because energy has been cheap in the past, not enough uh, effort has gone into energy conservation or energy efficiency. Uh, and so our thermal insulation in dwellings uh, is notor notoriously poor. Um, nobody has sealed doors and windows and double glazing and this sort of thing that is common, uh, you know, in colder climates. One of the houses I lived in in South Africa uh, in the winter, there was enough wind to blow a sheet of newspaper across the floor where I was sitting, yeah. uh, which tells you something about the way the doors and the windows shut in that house. It was very warm in front of the fireplace, but uh, three or four meters away, you could feel the temperature gradient drop 10 degrees. That's it. You have to just burn more fuel in order to keep warm and huddle around the fire. And yeah, that uses electricity or energy or wood or coal or whatever you're using to heat gas, what, you name it. But uh, where the price of electricity is very high or where the price of gas is very high, they, take, they go to great lengths and actually put in capital equipment into the houses uh, so that they don't need to use as much electricity or gas to keep warm. Uh, it's really, it's, a, it's due to the price signal. The higher the price, greater the investment you are prepared to put in to save electricity. We've been speaking with Chris Yellen, who is the, uh, the guru of all that is right, proper, good, and hopeful as we deal with our energy crisis. Um, and uh, hopefully some people who pay attention to these things are listening and they hear what his message has been so that somehow, some way, uh, the prophecies don't come true. And more electricity for our inputs, and we get it in a cheaper, more efficient way. Chris, thank you as always. It's a great pleasure. Thank you, Brooks.